You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, we're here on a Monday. On a Tuesday, I'm fading. And by Wednesday, um, I feel like growing up, if you were, you know, a 90s kid, you were usually either a Jessica Simpson girl or an Ashley Simpson girl. I fall definitely into the latter. I still don't really know what happened with the whole, like, Ashley Simpson hoedown jig on SNL. Like, what was that? I feel like that kind of went over my head when it happened because I wasn't really watching SNL. What, what, what was it? She was lip syncing and then she did a little, 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 a little jig? I mean, what was the big deal about that? Sounds like TikTok. If you are listening on the day of this being released, you may notice today is Monday and previously episodes were being released on Thursday. This is the new schedule. Mondays, they work best for me. I hope they work well for you. But honestly, you can listen to this any day. It doesn't really matter. It just matters that you listen at some point. Or at the very least, you rate me five stars <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. I thought today I would start out by reading from a journal I found. I was cleaning my room, kind of clearing things out, and I found this journal. I know the purpose of it. It was supposed to be like my recovery journal that I wrote in every day. I gave up on it very, very quickly. There's no date on this, but I can only assume it was a couple days before my sobriety date when I really buckled down and, you know, stuck to it. I thought I would read this to start off. I've been told journaling is a good tool during recovery. I still trip over that word though. It doesn't seem fair to use. I hate the shame spiral and I hate even more that I can't stop. I keep saying today is different and then it isn't. Sometimes it's like I have this bird's eye view of my life and I'm not sure who the person walking around in my skin is. She looks like me, a bit puffier and sallow, but we're the same enough, but she's stumbling through a very ghost-like life and I don't know what to say to get her back to me. Whew! Yeah, reading that back, uh, that brought a lot of emotions and feelings, but I think the strongest one, in a weird way, was hope. Uh, Hope because I now have the gift of hindsight so I can look back and be like, oh, it gets better, girl, you know, and I know that it does and it will, but you never feel like that in the moment. Moments, moments always feel like forever. You know, the perception of time itself is sort of a bizarre thing that neuroscientists and psychologists have studied and they all have differing opinions, but I don't know, reading that journal entry, I'm basically describing depression, you know, an emptiness a fogginess, not feeling like I'm in my own body, the shame spiral that alcohol sent me into. Depression and substance misuse can have a very symbiotic relationship, and they usually do. You know, someone is struggling with depression, so they turn to a substance to numb them or calm them or, you know, make them feel better. And drinking alcohol can temporarily boost serotonin levels, but then (laughs) as the body tries to sort of regain equilibrium because your body always wants to be in homeostasis then you're also releasing other chemicals that make you more depressed and lower your serotonin levels so that's why you know that's why actually a common symptom of a hangover is feeling down in the dumps or feeling blue you're drinking because you were depressed but the drinking is continuing to make your depression worse even though temporarily it feels good so it's just a fucked up cycle There's differing studies on how time is even perceived when you have depression. I have experienced it both ways. That feeling of time dragging on, being so slow, so excruciating. But also, I personally get very, very sleepy when I'm depressed. Even when I'm, like, not depressed, I'm just a sleepy bitch. I'm chronically fatigued. But yeah, I've been depressed and slept so much that I wake up and I'm like, oh my god, 
where have the hours gone? Can believe it, you know? It's the good old depression nap, you know? It's a cure for the common, uh, common boredom. It's just hard when you are in a bad place to know you won't be there forever. Even if you rationally can, it's hard to perceive of a time that doesn't exist yet. So, you know, yeah, that's why I can, I, I say I read that with a lot of hope because sure, I have hope now because I am proof that it got better, but I didn't feel hopeful then. I'm actually going to speak with a therapist pretty soon to discuss, um, you know, the possibility of weaning off of my antidepressant. I've been on an antidepressant for anxiety and depression since I was like, you know, 15. My doctor and I had a really honest conversation and he said, you seem like you're really healthy and in a good place and maybe it's time to discuss with the therapist if this is something that, you know, we can wean you off of. Um, but, you know, like kind of scares me too because things are so good. And I'm like, what if that's the magic ingredient, you know, and we, then we take it away. But man, I've tried to I've tried to wean off by myself. Horrible, horrible, horrible. If you're on any sort of antidepressant, do not just go off it on your own willy-nilly because shit, you get the worst headaches. It's, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. So always consult your doctor or your mental health professional. Uh, who who gets mentally healthy during a global pandemic? Uh, me, I guess. I'm thriving indoors. I'm thriving in my mask. Stay six feet away from me forever, please. It's working. Speaking of six feet from someone, segue. Mom, stop listening to the episode. Let's talk about sex, baby. Really just trying to get my download numbers higher, you know? I'm gonna title this episode something like Sober Sex Orgy Party. Something wild. About a month into being sober, I broke up with my long-term boyfriend. He was very supportive, had nothing to do with it. You know, I'm not going to talk about the details out of respect for him. But, you know, aside from him, who I had been with for years of drinking and spontaneous bouts of sobriety, followed by a month of my current um, sobriety journey, I hadn't had sober sex with anybody new. And that is uh, still the case. (laughs) And it's something that makes me feel very vulnerable and very nervous and anxious and again global pandemic sort of put a damper on things but you know when my when my ex and i split up i told him i was going to focus on being sober for a year and i i actually did i went out on my first socially distanced date sometime this past september at almost the year mark of getting sober and we never progressed past making out and only went on a couple dates but i was so 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 nervous and it felt like i had been catapulted back in time to high school or or some shit though in high school i think i would have done more than just make out by four dates but i digress i have been so purely single like so single i am afraid i will forget how to have sex like my vagina is surgically sealing itself off where did it go i don't know i haven't seen it in years i'm on the apps the dating apps. But you know, nothing's really come from it. And to be honest, I am very hesitant. People are weird. (laughs) And I'm very happy and I am very comfortable that the idea of putting myself in a situation where I will experience social anxiety just seems like a lot. That being said, mama would like to have sex eventually. I don't want to die like this. I would like to rip the bandaid off and have sober sex, you know? I mean, like I've had sober sex, of course. I didn't start drinking until 21. Lost my virginity at 16 had boyfriends, but a lot of my new sexual experiences started to involve alcohol. And you know, I mean, as a society, we use it as a social lubricant. We meet up for drinks. It's marketed to us like, oh, you want to relax? You want to loosen up? Have a drink. So I would definitely get tipsy on a first date. If I was going to meet up with someone that I was excited about, I would 
pre-game before even meeting up. And you know, I know I've been sloppy, but I would get so in my head and so nervous about being liked or things being awkward that I would lean on alcohol. And here I thought it was gonna make me more fun, more chill, more cool. And instead it would just sometimes ruin things. One time I was in New York for a work event. This was years ago. I had been sexting and DMing with this guy who I met through Twitter. He was a writer who had a book recently turned into a movie and I don't even remember how we connected through Twitter, but we did. We hadn't met in real life, but we were talking all the time. He was super tall, he was super hot. Uh, He lived in New York and he worked at a bar that was actually around the corner from where I was gonna be staying. So obviously we make plans to meet up, hang out. Um, I'm a nervous flyer, so I took a muscle relaxant for the plane, which I forgot. You shouldn't mix with alcohol. Whoopsie daisy. He's like, why don't you just come over to the bar and we can hang when I am off my shift. So I have a few drinks with my friend beforehand, go to the bar and I am so fucking nervous that I like can't even, I'm like nervous to like look him in the eye. So I immediately start drinking more. We say hi and talk and he gets me some drinks and then the night goes pretty blurry. Apparently I was flirting and chummy with some guy all night, which pissed him off. And he got off of his shift and he was like, I don't want to hang out with you. So my poor drunk crying ass walked back to my hotel and I curled up in the empty bathtub and I cried all night and I woke up the next morning with a face so swollen, I looked like the Michelin man. Now, in retrospect, I think this guy was kind of a dick and it was not cool that he didn't make sure I got home okay because I could have been, oh, I don't know, murdered on the streets of New York. I made such a big deal about meeting him and being so anxious and so scared and I thought, oh, alcohol will fix this. And it made everything so much worse. That's what alcohol did to my dating life and probably my sex life. You know, it didn't lubricate anything. It just made things worse. Numb at best, dangerous at worst. It doesn't do that for everyone, but you know, it does for me. In that journal that I read a snippet from in the beginning, I also had notes from a webinar I took by Annie Grace, who wrote This Naked Mind. I cannot recommend it enough. I took this webinar on my second day of sobriety and I had messy notes from things she said or I learned that resonated. And there's a note that says, willpower doesn't work. Neuro research shows willpower fatigues. Basically, there are studies that show that willpower to say, turn down a drink, actually functions more like a muscle. It can get fatigued. So if you've used all your willpower on like getting through the day, then your willpower reserves have been depleted. So, you know, willpower over alcohol as this idea, it's not reliable. It can ebb and it can wane depending on what else you have going on. And this was a really groundbreaking thing for me to realize because I used to think I just wasn't strong enough. Other people could have one drink or two and stop and be fine. Other people can watch one episode of TV and not binge the entire season. I beat myself up over this magical willpower that everyone else seems to have a handle on and I just don't. So guess what? I just remove it from the equation. I don't test myself. Sure, maybe there is a point in my future where I could be one and done with drinking. Eliminating it altogether is just so much easier for me to maintain than trying to do it in some quote unquote responsible way. With dating, I don't need to be with someone sober. I don't want to be with a huge partier either, but for me, you know, I don't mind. This is not the case for everyone. I don't mind being around people while they drink so long as they aren't getting belligerent all the time or pressuring me. I go to dinners, people get cocktails. It's it's never felt triggering to me. If you have someone in your life who is sober or, you know, someone in recovery, just ask them how you can best support them. Some people might not wanna be around certain substances, others will be fine. You know, for me, I'm actually more uncomfortable if I can tell other people are catering to me. This is not 
a great parallel, but I was gluten-free for seven years and I hated telling people because I just like didn't want them to make a plan around my dietary issue. So in college, I would just bring my own snack and join my friends at whatever pizza spot everyone was hanging out at. It's like, you eat the pizza, I'm not going to, but I don't mind being there. You know, I didn't want everything to be centered around what I may or may not be doing, which is interesting because I do usually love being center of attention, just not like that. I never want it to be a huge deal when I go out with someone When bars reopen and it's safe again, I don't mind meeting at a bar. I would like to get dinner and drinks with someone. My drinks will just be non-alcoholic. So what? No big deal. Who cares? So what? Who cares? No big deal. That's me doing my... That's me doing Fred Armisen doing Joy Behar on SNL. And doing a very bad job of it. (laughs) What really makes me nervous, I think, about all of this and the idea of sober dating and all that that entails is just there's such an added layer of intimacy with being sober like really in all aspects, but especially in the sexual world, it's kind of intimidating. Being sober means I am fully present now. I am all there. It's also empowering, you know, and um, knowing that the decisions I'm making, even if they're stupid decisions, I'm making them fully in my present, clear head. Um, And it's exciting and it's scary dating without relying on alcohol. I do worry about having to explain it and scaring people off because as much as it is a part of my identity, it's a very, very small part. It doesn't run my life. It doesn't make me fully who I am. Plenty of times I even forget about it, to be honest. I feel like I'm back to being me again, which makes me very happy and confident, but also insecure and nervous and awkward and like I'm a teenager again. Honestly, some of my best sexual experiences were before I ever turned 21 and I was sober for all of them. So I know I don't have to lean on it, even though it is nerve-wracking. Well, with all of that said, it's time for... It's something that made me happy this week. It's my pink cloud of sobriety. You know that this episode was about sex, so let's talk about it. Harry Styles at the Grammys. What the fuck? Has there ever been anything hotter? No, I don't think so. Maybe that's why I wanted to talk about sex in this episode, because Mr. Styles got me thinking about it. The, The outfit, the leather suit with no shirt, the boa, the dance moves, the smile. I've always thought Harry Styles is attractive because I have eyes and I'm a human being with a pulse, but I've never been like obsessed with him. I might be obsessed with him now. I don't know. I might have to hop on board the Harry Styles train. That was, I mean... (sighs) You know, I've said I want to rip the band-aid off in terms of sober sex, and Harry, if you're listening, um, I am no Olivia Wilde, but let's see how how wild things can get with with some sober sex. (laughs) Am I right? Am I right? Have your people call my people. Please. Give me a call. I'm lonely. Well, with that, I want to thank you guys again for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, even though I don't deserve a five-star review yet, but seeing them come in, it reminds me to get better and keep pushing. I'm going to start having some guests on, some interviews. I'm super excited. Um, Yeah, see you next week. (laughs) 